How many here, when you were growing up in your family, had household chores? Almost everybody, if not everybody. You know, it's interesting, as I remember thinking back on my childhood, and, you know, everybody had certain chores. I mean, it's almost a given. You had to clean your room. That, that was a given. The other one was you had to fix your bed. I hated that one. And one of the reasons I hated it is I was a thrasher. Anybody else a thrasher when you were growing up? My covers were everywhere. Fortunately, I grew out of it. Meredith is very thankful for that. But I was a thrasher. And so, I mean, like I'd wake up and the covers were this side, that side. And, and it's like it made no sense to fix my bed. Why? Because I was going to do it again. But my job, my given job in the family was cleaning the bathrooms. And I think my parents looked at the kids and said, this is for Greg. (laughs) And part of the reason was I never minded doing anything around the house. I mean, there was, there was also a job my brother and I shared. My brother Fred, he was older, one year older than I was. And we split cutting the front yard and the backyard. The backyard was always more difficult, so that was the undesirable job. But we would split cutting the front yard and the backyard. So we had that job too. But we had various chores that we had to do. you know. And then we'd get our allowance, which I think was like a buck. We didn't get rich from our allowance. But the reality was that's part of what it was to be part of the family in our family. And in many families, it was that way. When you had a family where the dynamic required you to do jobs because there was a lot to do, everybody participated. Everybody served. Everybody took a task that they were willing or able to do that fit them. And worked for the family. And the family functioned that way. And you know what's interesting is that if you really understand Scripture, if you really understand God's call on His people, that's what He calls us to as His family. We read from John 2, which is the miracle at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And I love that story. But what comes as a lead into that is John begins the gospel in chapter 1, and he starts talking about Jesus as being the light of the world, the light that comes into the world to enlighten the lives of men so that we would understand who God is and what his will is. And the light of life so that we would understand what life is about for ourselves, for each other. And then when you get to verse 12, that we have the power to become his children. The power to become his children. Because we had a broken relationship with God, we had to reconnect with God, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin, so that we could reconnect and become his children again, his adopted children by grace. And when we become his children, we become a part of the family. And when you take it to the Corinthians reading, which Paul takes a different spin and uses different language that basically says that you become a part of the body of Christ. In fact, 
That's what 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is about. 12, he starts talking about the body of Christ. Chapter 13, of course, is known as the love chapter that talks about what love looks like. And it's not just in marriage. It's about life. And it's about community. Christ's kind of love. And then you get the verse, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and you see this body working together, that everybody is knit together, that there's no part of the body that isn't necessary. We're all necessary. We're all needed. And that's God's design for how the church is meant to be. That no one person has all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. It should be obvious to most of you. And some more obvious than others. But the reality is I don't. Only Jesus has all the gifts. Only the Holy Spirit imparts all the gifts. But the Holy Spirit gives to each one at least one gift. And that's what God's design is for the body, for the family. And then we all come together and we serve. And we give. And what source, why do we do that? The same source that caused Jesus to react at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Compassion. That we recognize God's call on our lives. That there's a need. That Jesus' mom said to him, there's a need. This couple had a need. And Jesus, in his compassion... Responded to that need. Jesus always responded in compassion. In the upper room with his apostles. Throughout his ministry, he cared for people. He taught people. He preached. He served. He laid down his life. He healed people all for compassion's sake. And that's what we need to see, that when God gives his gifts, he has a design. You're here as a part of the body of Christ, not by accident. That he has given you a unique gift, personality, mix. That will bless the body of Christ when you understand your role in the family. That he loves you and he loves the church and he wants you to be a part of the church. When Jesus first began his public ministry, what's the first thing he did? He gathered people around himself and he said, we're going to go out and we're going to do ministry together. Together. That's the key. That together we do this. That Jesus is Lord of the household. He's as if Father. We don't use that term often today, Lord of the household, but it was a term that was used kind of when I was younger. My dad kind of referred to that. This is my castle kind of thing. But Jesus is Lord. 
And he talked about the father being the father as if the head of the household. And we take our directions from him. Jesus modeled. Jesus taught. Jesus lived. In community. Showing others how it works. Done in compassion. And then he said, now that I'm leaving, you're going to be my body on earth. You're going to take over my ministry. And really, in many ways, that's what First Corinthians 12 is about. It talks about this body, that all the gifts are in operation. And that each one, everyone, has at least one gift. That's the family. That's the body working together. And what's, what's the byproduct of that? If you catch it, when Jesus is talking to his apostles, especially in the upper room when he's talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out, that everyone has, who are believers, this opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's an individual experience and a collective experience when we understand being part of the body of Christ, connected in community, worshiping together. That's God's design. And when you're not, you diminish your own joy and the joy of others. When he got to the end of his time with them in the upper room, right before he went to die for them and die for us, he prayed. He prayed for them. He prayed for them about being one, love, community, connected. And he prayed about joy. So that my joy might be in them and their joy might be complete. And it happens when we are in him and we are working together as his body. So when you get to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to look, the, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. To each. That means everybody. See, sometimes people say, no, 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 that's not me. It's you. If you are a part of the body of Christ, if you see yourself as a believer in Jesus, then you are one of these to each. And if you want to learn more about it, if you haven't been through the discovery class, we're starting tomorrow night. Class number six talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And we talk about how everyone has a gift. And you can look in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. That's the three places that the, primarily you will see the gifts of the Spirit listed. But why is it given? For the common good. For the common good. Common means we share it. See, what happens is when we use this gift, we are blessed. 
We feel God's presence. We feel God's power working in us and through us. We feel that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment because he's using us. And then we bless other people, and they're blessed. And then we're mutually affirming each other because his spirit is working in his body. That's the design. That's the blessing. And there is no less than or more than. It's complementary. We all need each other. That's the way it works. And we all work for the common good. If you look throughout Scripture, that's the way it works. All the apostles, all the disciples. See, part of the problem is, is that if you have a nebulous idea about who God is, you probably won't come to this understanding. In our culture today, it's like God is this force. Or God is really not knowable. You know, he kind of set the world in motion and then he kind of disappeared. Or God isn't involved in his creation. Or God doesn't do miracles or the miraculous today or god doesn't move by his holy spirit in powerful ways today people have their own notions or let's make it more personal god doesn't really use me quote unquote in that way see we always want to say what is contrary to what god really is all about god first of all is knowable he's not impersonal He's knowable through the person of Jesus Christ. He's knowable through his word. And if he is knowable, and if his will is knowable, then when we begin to look at the pages of Scripture, we can begin to see what he has in mind for us individually and corporately as his church. And the design is that we are all connected. We are all meant to be involved we are all meant to share our gift. Why? Because it blesses all of us. And when you are not sharing your gift, when you are not connected, when you are not involved, it diminishes the good of God's church. Even our culture today, they have an idea of what the good is. It may have nothing to do with what really is good because God is the one who establishes good because God is good. All the time. Let's take it a step further. A related passage in Ephesians 4 says that everyone is given the gift to build up the body. To build up the body. So this common good, what happens when we share this gift that we've been given, that blesses people with this good Builds up the body of Christ. We all need to be built up. And the way it works in the church is by worshiping together. In fellowship with one another. Growing together and then serving together. Sharing our gifts. And we often miss it because we're doing our own thing. We're not doing it God's way. God has given you a gift for a purpose. And the purpose is to be a blessing. 
The good that Jesus did is so pervasive. Think about it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He does good for the whole world, whether people recognize it or not. He did good with his apostles and disciples. Teaching and preaching and modeling, washing feet. He did good for people who were in desperate need. In miraculous ways, oftentimes. Healing. Feeding. He did good by dying on the cross for us. So that we might have salvation. And now we are meant to be the body of Christ. Who bring that good to build up his church. Building up each other and then taking it to the world. The message of salvation to the world. To be his body now. And the whole purpose is because as he prayed in his final prayer in the upper room for fellowship, for love, for community, that we might be one. And so that we might experience joy. Why is it so many people think that it's out there in the world that real joy is to be found? They miss it. Real joy is a fruit of the Spirit, just like real love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit dwelling in us, working in us and through us. You know what's interesting is, at the wedding at Cana, when Jesus did his first sign, as it's called, that points to who he is, there was already a joyful scene there. It was a wedding. Everybody was having a great time. But the joy and the fun was about to end, especially for the couple, because to run out of wine at a wedding was a disaster in that day. It was an absolute disaster embarrassment that you often don't get over. It ruins your your reputation. And so Jesus does this miracle, albeit not big in terms of the scheme of life and eternal life. Not a life or death situation. But he cared enough about his mom's feelings and the couple's feelings. And then what we're told, his disciples believed in him. Let's jump forward. Palm Sunday, everybody's joyful, celebrating. Good Friday, Jesus dies. Jesus shows up in the upper room, and what's one of the first things we're told about the apostles? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. Because that's God's design and desire for his church. Much bigger situation. 
life and death situation, eternal life situation. He cares about the big and the small in our lives and in the church. But that's his design. And he does it through community, through fellowship, mutual caring, worshiping together, praying together, serving together. That's how it happens. You know, what's interesting is I think there's primarily, not exclusively, but primarily three reasons why people really aren't involved in the church. When I say involved, I'm not just talking about attending church once in a while or even every Sunday. I'm talking about really understanding your role as being a part of the body of Christ, as God and Jesus portray it in Scripture. That you're working for the common good, that you're building up the body of Christ, that you're manifesting and using your gift because the Holy Spirit is in operation in you. And that brings up the first reason, is that you're really not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you were really filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be working in you and through you. There were a group of disciples. Acts chapter 19. That Paul in his travels comes upon and they knew of the baptism of John. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. They talked about Jesus coming and the kingdom breaking in. But it was not the baptism that involved Jesus having risen and the power of the Holy Spirit coming. Once they came in touch with that, they were transformed and they started becoming the church. And see, there are people in the church who really are not aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They really don't want to be aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They don't because they don't want to be involved or They're nervous about the Holy Spirit. God's design and desire, what Jesus talked about, is I will send the Holy Spirit so that he might be with you like me. Like me. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we begin to operate as the church using the gifts and talents and abilities. Everybody's not full-time. Everybody's not ordained. That's not the point. Everybody has gifts. That's the point. Secondly, people think that being part of the church is just being a member. You know what I mean by that? I got my name on the rolls. I'm in. I got my fire insurance. I'm good. It's amazing how many people think they're members of the church just because at one time they went for a few months. And now they claim a church as their church. I'm a member of the church. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In my previous parish in San Antonio, this was back around 1990-1991, I was serving as an assistant there, and I was out at some kind of event 
And I had my collar on, and this guy came up to me. I think I did a prayer at some kind of event. This guy came up to me, and he says, I'm a member of Christ Church. And I said, really? He said, how long have you been there? I said, four years. (laughs) And he looked at me, and he said, you're kidding. I haven't been there in four years. He answered his own question. He was so dumbfounded. That makes the point, doesn't it? He referred to himself as a member. And I had been there four years and I'd never seen him. And I'd remember. There were 2,400 members there. But I would have remembered. What does it mean to be a member? See, because God's understanding of being a member is so different. It's not just about sitting in a pew. See, that's part of the cultural understanding of what it is to be a church member. And I think that clergy are part of the problem. You know, professionalism in our culture or clergy to want, want, wanting to be the important ones or the only ones that can do real ministry. I think that's garbage. It's the ministry of the body of Christ. And everybody finding their ministry. My primary role here is the theological rudder, the preacher and teacher and the pastor. But there's a lot more gifts and ministries. And I know a lot of you are doing ministry. But God calls us all to do ministry. The third reason is we have an authority problem in our culture. Steve made the point last week, I thought really well done, never thought of it quite like this. For the last 20 years, He said, people have been saying, not my president, since George W. And he said, the reality is, he's the president, whoever's president. That's the reality. You might not see yourself as under that person. You don't like that president. You don't want to be in a place where that person is your president. But he is, if you're a citizen of this country, regardless You know what the first cry of the church was? Anybody? Jesus is Lord. That was the first cry and creed of the church. Jesus is Lord. What do we say every Easter? Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Do we mean it? That he is Lord of our lives? Or are we? Because if he is, then he has a claim on your life. Yes, he's our savior. If we believe in him and trust in him for our salvation, he's our savior. But he is so much more. He is Lord. 
And actually, he's Lord of all, whether you believe it or not. Whether you listen or not, whether you follow him or not, he is Lord of all. That's the reality. And he calls you into a relationship where you follow him. And following him means you become a disciple. And being a disciple means you lay down your life because he's your Lord. Which means you serve with sacrificial love because that's what he did. You serve with compassion, which means you draw alongside other people in ministry, in service. You figure out your gift and your talent and what you have a passion for, and you serve. Ever since I made an intentional commitment to Christ when I was 15 years old, I've never understood otherwise. That's probably why I ended up doing what I did. But we are called to be his church. And since we're having our annual meeting today, it just seemed like the right thing to talk about. You know, I want to close with one thought. And it comes out of John 2, the wedding at Cana. When Jesus made the wine, he made the best wine. What he has in mind for you is the best. The best for your life and the best for the church. He wants the church to be the best. And we're good. We have wonderful worship. We have incredible volunteers. We have some wonderful ministries here. We can be better. It just takes everybody being part of the church. Really being the church. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and really seek to follow Him as your Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, the temptation that we wrestle with goes back to the beginning of time. That we really want to be the God of our own life. To say what's good. To live unto ourselves. And you call us to something different, something better. To be a part of a family. your family with you as our father and your son Jesus as our Lord 
Dear God, I pray this day that we would come to a deeper understanding of what it means to be yours and to follow you. What it means to be a part of your church, your body on earth. That we would truly seek to be yours. To serve the common good, to build your church. So that we might know the depth of your love in us and through us. So that we might blossom with your joy, individually and together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.